Welcome to Careers of the Future, a show where students can learn how to best prepare themselves for the future of work. Each episode features an interview with an Ismaili at the leading edge of their field and is available in a podcast format and on The Ismaili TV. Yelling with everybody and welcome to Careers of the Future, where a show where students like me can directly learn from Ismailis at the bleeding edge of their fields about how to better prepare themselves for the future of work. Today, we'll be talking about venture capital with Karim Gilani. Karim has had a wide range of focuses and interests. He actually started off in leading corporate development at a company called Zoom, not this Zoom, Zoom with the X. They got acquired by PayPal in 2015 for 890 million and in the past, He's also led BlackBerry's investment teams as well. And now he's the founder and also investor at a VC firm called Luge Capital, where they have over $90 million plus in investments. Karim, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. I thought we would first start off by kind of talking about what venture capital is. Why don't you start by just explaining to the audience what is venture capital and how it's different than investing in things such as private equity? So, so first of all, venture capital is actually a form of private equity. Um, and really what we do is we invest in early stage startup companies, primarily tech companies. Um, it, you know, when you talk about private equity in the traditional sense, you tend to talk about um, investors who are putting capital into more mature companies. Um, whereas for us as early stage VCs, um, we're supporting early founders who may not have a lot of traction on their business yet. Um, you know, they're maybe a, a couple of years in, um, they've built a product and they've just released it to market. Um, so they're really at the beginning stages of their journey um, to becoming successful entrepreneurs. Um, so as VCs, what we do is we, we take capital from bigger, larger investors called limited partners or LPs they entrust us with their funds. Um, and then as fund managers, we go out and find um, uh, promising new startups uh, where we would deploy capital into, into their companies. Um, and so we are sort of the, the fund managers um, that look for these opportunities to identify um, companies that have this potential for long-term success. And so just to confirm, it's you are the fund managers, so you take money from these people called LPs, limited partners, and you take funds and then you invest them into early stage startups, correct? Yeah, exactly. And these these limited partners um, can range from you know individuals who are looking to diversify a portfolio and want to include venture as part of um, their investment strategy, all the way up to large institutions, um, big pension funds, big corporations, who want to get access to some of these early stage companies to help them support their innovative initiatives. Um, so for our fund in particular at Luge, most of our capital comes from these large institutions. So large pension funds, um, big banks, big insurance companies who look to us to help them get exposure to these early stage companies um, that they otherwise would not have exposure to. And so maybe this is speaking from experience as a student, but you're handling so much money, I can barely even handle the low amounts of money in my bank account. 
I was wondering, how did you even get started in handling other people's money and investing it in, into companies? How did you start by even thinking that venture capital was something you're interested in? Do you want to kind of walk us through what that moment was when you kind of found that venture capital and taking money from others and helping it and investing it to others was something that you thought was like right for you? Yeah, I, I wish I could t tell you that it was a very deliberate and strategic path, but in reality, it was almost entirely by accident that I became a VC. Um, you know, I, I had, in terms of my background, uh, you know, I have a background in engineering, finance, and law. And I started off my career as a developer. So I used to write code a long, long time ago. Um, and then I, I sort of traversed through product management and business development. I did architecture design for a little while, just designed telecom networks in uh, Western Europe and in Africa. And, it, you know, it sort of, I sort of zigged and zagged through these different roles in my career. And I somehow ended up in a, in a role where I was um, adjacent to the corporate development team at BlackBerry. So the guys who were running mergers and acquisitions and some venture investing for BlackBerry. And being in an adjacent team, I eventually moved over to M&A and corporate development. Um, and then I moved out to California to, to do that role. And so I was the sort of the lone guy in the San Francisco Bay Area where I was making investments for BlackBerry and also acquiring companies um, for that business. And, you know, I, I eventually moved on to a company that you mentioned, Zoom, Zoom with an X, um, who specializes in cross-border payments. I led the corporate development practice there. Um, I helped take the company public on the NASDAQ in, in 2013. Um, and then eventually in 2015, the company got acquired by PayPal, as you mentioned. Um, and then, I, you know, when I when I moved over to PayPal, I ran M&A um, and venture investing for PayPal in Canada for a few years. And each of these opportunities, um, you know, for me in particular, sort of emerged um, just because I um, I was doing similar work along the way with incremental changes. In other words, I started off as a developer. I moved to to uh, product management, then to architecture, then to business development, then corporate development, and then venture investing, which, you know, it's not a very clear path, but if you think about those incremental changes, um, it, it may make a little bit of sense. Um, but it's not, it's certainly not a traditional path. It's not like I could tell you, hey, I did this program at this school and therefore it set me off to be a, a venture investor. Um, there's, there's a little bit of um, experience, um, a little bit of, you know, seizing opportunities and a little bit of luck, to be honest, to, that gets you into this space. Okay. And so for students our age, do you think that in, I think you can, you can speak to this from your experience, is there specific fields or specific things that we should kind of dip our toes into or start to get interested if we think that venture capital could be something that we want to look into in the future? Because in your case, you know, you talked about corporate development, you talked about developing, you talked about product management. Are there some things that maybe we should, or some fields that maybe we should start preparing for and learning more about before kind of getting into venture capital just to start exposing ourselves to from your perspective? Yeah, I, I would say the, 
the most successful VCs are the ones who have some other experience prior to becoming VCs. Um, and and um, from my perspective, I think the most important experience you can get is being an operator of a business or a business unit at another company. Um, and that typically comes from um, learning and understanding um, how technology works. And in some cases that means being a, a developer or a software engineer or being a product manager um, and understanding the, the nuances of how technology works. Um, and then you can leverage that experience to identify opportunities where um, technology can solve a problem. Um, now in, in the venture space, I'd say the, the two key ingredients are having this sort of technical background or this operating background combined with a background in, in finance. Um, because at the end of the day, venture capitalists are fund managers um, who are looking to, to generate a return for their limited partners. Um, but it's that technical um, element or technical experience that helps you to identify companies that seem promising. Um, so your question is about, well, what, what can students do today to prepare themselves or put them on a path to venture capital? I would say, you know, there's not, there's not a particular course you can take that you know, teaches you how to be a VC, um, but there are courses that help you um, combine all of the ingredients that I think it takes to become a VC. And that's, um, you know, learning about technology from um, engineering courses or software development courses, um, learning about finance through corporate finance courses. If you can mix in a bit of uh, a little bit of uh, legal exposure through some law courses, that also helps as well. Um, but if you sort of combine all of these different elements together, um, then you're at least starting down a path where one of the endpoints could become venture capital. Okay, so it's really the mix of the three things, technology, a little bit of law and operations, and then that kind of finance piece, correct? That's right, exactly. And so for students our age, maybe when you were in school, were there specific courses, maybe it was like computer studies, or were there specific websites that you would go to, to, to learn about these types of things? Since I'd assume for me as a student, if I want to learn more about law or operations, or even learn more about tech, where, where do I even go? Where do I even kind of start off to learn about these types of things, even finance and venture finance? Yeah, so it, it's um, it, it's not as easy as hey, go to this website and and you know you'll learn everything you need to learn. Um, being a VC takes a tremendous amount of experience that you accumulate over the years. Um, but for me, I, even before I even knew I wanted to be a, a VC, I studied engineering at the University of Waterloo, and um, that helped open a whole bunch of doors for me because. Um, I then took on some technical roles at a bunch of different companies. Um, and then at some point I decided to study finance. So I, I did a finance degree at the University of London in the UK, um, which gave me some more technical skills, but in a different field. Um, and then uh, right around the time when I was getting married, I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to go to law school. Um, and so I, I had made this decision that I wanted to study law and I ended up doing a master's program at the University of Toronto um, focused on 
business law or corporate law um, specifically. And it wasn't until I had these, these different perspectives from these different disciplines that I realized that it can be sort of combined together and put towards things like venture capital. Um, and then there's you know, a bunch of adjacent fields like, like we mentioned private equity, we mentioned corporate development or M&A, and we mentioned venture, which are all sort of siblings of one another, um, but all require these kinds of disciplines, finance, law, um, and some kind of technical, technical skill like engineering or computer science, in, in my opinion. It's really the mix of those three backgrounds, like you were saying and getting experiences within all of those three backgrounds to kind of mix to become a, a venture capitalist. Yeah, although I, I will say that not all VCs, in, in, in fact, most VCs don't have um, these three pillars um, in, their, in their experience, um, but they're still very successful in their own right. Um, and, and so it, I wouldn't say it's absolutely necessary. I just think that these three disciplines can arm you very, very well um, to be successful as a as a venture investor or in corporate development or in private equity for that matter. Um, if you if you look at the backgrounds or the pedigree of many VCs that operate in the field, um, what you will find are sort of two main categories. One category are VCs who have started their own companies, grew them to be very successful, sold them, um, um, and generated a, a very good return for, for their investors and then decided to go into venture capital um, to leverage that experience, that operating experience. The other category are um, sort of more finance focused um, investors. So those who have come from a world of investment banking um, um, or some other sort of very technical finance discipline where they eventually made their way into venture capital. Um, and I think the most powerful VCs are the ones that sort of combine these two disciplines, or at least have these two, two elements um, combined in their, in their past experience. Another thing I was wondering was, in terms of frameworks for investing, how can our students start to prepare ourselves for, if, if we get these experiences and we want to invest in companies, how do we prepare ourselves for frameworks to start learning about which types of companies to invest in, risky, risky companies, not so risky companies? What do you think we should do on that front? Yeah, this is probably the most difficult question you could ask a VC. Um, how do you decide on which investments to make or which companies um, uh, are worthy of, of, of venture capital backing? Um, and the truth is, every investor will have a different thesis um, on which they invest, um, which, which sort of guides how they choose which, which um, companies get their money. Um, and by the way, the, the flip side is also true. There's, um, you know, founders will also be in a position to choose who their VCs are. So it's not always a one-way street. In fact, in most cases, uh, nowadays, it's a two-way street where um, the founder has to choose the right VC. Um, but for us in particular, um, we look at a number of different factors. Um, the very first thing that we look at is the pedigree and the caliber of the team. Um, so because we are early stage investors, very often we don't have a lot of um, hard data 
on which to make investment decisions. In other words, we don't always have very, very strong revenue numbers or very strong EBITDA numbers or customer acquisition numbers. Um, and so we're, we're generally operating um, with very little hard data. Wait, and, and so sorry, could you, could you explain why these numbers are important since students might not know why customer acquisition numbers are important, et cetera? Yeah, so all of these are, are metrics to demonstrate the health of your business. So when you talk about um, customers that are using your product, it's a demonstration that what you're building is actually in demand by your customers. And so if you don't have a lot of customers who are using your product, then um, it can be taken as a signal that the general population, or at least your target audience, um, it doesn't find the product that you're building particularly valuable. Um, so so we, look, we tend to look at that as a signal um, of, of demand fulfillment. But because we are early stage investors, we don't always have these metrics available to us in the companies that we look at. Um, so we often look at um, more qualitative signals. Um, you know, the, the caliber of the team, something I mentioned before, um, where we look at um, ha has this founder um, um, been in this particular industry for a period of time where they've learned the nuances and know which pitfalls to avoid um, because they have that experience already? Um, do they have experience being an entrepreneur in the past? In other words, is this their second or third or fourth company um, that we're backing or is this the very first time that they've been an entrepreneur? And, and those all carry different degrees of risk. Um, and so one way to think about it is as an investment manager or fund manager, um, we invest along a spectrum where on the one side you have um, you know, very, very conservative, um, very low risk um, investment vehicles like a treasury bond or a treasury bill. Um, very low risk, but also low, low yield, low reward. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum is venture capital. Very, very high risk, but potential for very high returns. And we are early stage venture capital. So we're on, you know, we're even further down in the riskiness spectrum. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we tend to invest in a handful of companies, some of whom may never end up becoming successful, but for the ones that do become successful, they become massively successful such that um, in a portfolio of companies, they sort of offset the losses from the other companies that didn't make it. So it's really that, that caliber of the founder themselves that you would look into, especially if you're looking early stage, since you don't have a lot of customer data in terms of if there's a demand in the market, et cetera. That, that's probably um, the biggest factor. The other big factors that we look at are the, the size of the opportunity. In other words, is this founder or this team of founders um, solving a very big problem? Um, or are, you know, is it something small that um, a lot of people are just not gonna pay attention to? So that's really important, make sure, making sure that they're solving a, a very big problem. Ideally, a problem that is global in nature as opposed to something that's hyper-local. Um, and then you know, we, we look at um, productivity or, or track record. In other words, how has the team progressed in this initiative since the onset? Have they been able to 
build a product, release a product to market, engage with customers. Um, so, you know, I was talking about demonstration of demand. These are all sort of the, the pre-revenue signals of um, proving out that there is demand for your product. Um, you know, and then, and then we look for, you know, personalities within founders, not just the caliber. In other words, we look for resilience you know, in, in 2020, we were all knocked down by COVID-19 and we, we had to rely on our founders and our portfolio to get back up, dust themselves off and continue along with their business um, so that they can get through this period of uncertainty. And so that, that resilience becomes an important characteristic in the founders that we back. So it's that combination of the personality, but then also some or some sort of start to see if there's a demand as well as the caliber of the team, the combination of those three that kind of helps you see if a company that you're looking to invest in is, is it one that you should invest in. Exactly. The other thing that I was also wondering about was you talked about how there's lots of VC firms. So for students, if we want to get into the VC field, what makes specific VC firms different than others? And why is it that we should choose to work at a specific VC firm or start a specific VC firm compared to another? Yeah, this is another great question um, that's often difficult, to be honest, uh, often difficult for, for VCs to answer um, because there are so many VCs that exist in the world. Um, it's sometimes difficult for any one particular VC to differentiate themselves from another, particularly if you are sector agnostic. In other words, you are investing in a number of different sectors. Um, and usually VCs differentiate themselves on a number of different things. Number one is the access to a network that they provide. So when a, a VC invests in a company, it's also their job beyond providing capital, it's also their job to support those companies um, by giving them access to customers or even potential future investors um, or industry experts that can help them with their product development, um, marketers who can help them position their product properly um, when they're trying to sell. Um, so all of these different um, players within a, a VC's network becomes important to support these portfolio companies. Um, the other thing I, I'd say is important is um, the, the experience or the pedigree of the VCs themselves. So this goes back to what I was saying earlier, where if you have a combination of um, technical skills or you know, engineering, software development, plus finance, plus law, um, combine that with a bunch of industry experience, you become very powerful um, in sharing insights with your portfolio companies who can then leverage those insights to make their businesses better. Um, so in our particular case at Luge, we are fintech focused investors. In other words, we support companies that solely focus on the financial services industry. And, you know, my background is from PayPal and from Zoom. Um, and when I was at BlackBerry, I spent a bunch of time in the financial services aspect of BlackBerry. And so um, it's these experiences behind me that I think some founders find valuable um, when they're building their businesses. And it's one of our differentiators. And, and it's not just my experience, but 
the experience of all of my team members as well. You know, I've got a partner who comes from a, a, um, a payments background as well. So also has a background in, in financial services and his, his background is also very valuable for the support of our portfolio companies. Um, and, you know, your original question is how does somebody choose which VC fund to work for? Um, and what I've been talking about is how founders choose VC funds to engage with for, for their support. Um, but to answer your original question, it, um, it really comes down to um, one, the kind of venture capitalist you want to become. Um, in other words, what kind of industry excites you the most? Um, and, then it, and then it's a matter of choosing the VCs that align most closely with your values. You know, the way in which they invest, the, the types of companies um, they support, the stage at which they're investing. In other words, are they investing in very, very early stage companies or more mature companies that have some of these traction metrics that I, I mentioned before? Um, and sometimes you just have to sort of test, your, test the waters and talk to a bunch of VC funds um, in order to get the experience of which ones align most closely with your values. For us students, you're saying that if we want to get or choose a specific VC firm, it's really that combination of the field as well as what type of VC we want to be. And the combination of those two will kind of help us choose the venture firm that we think we should work for. Yeah, and, and, and the last thing I'd say, I was mentioning this before, is the stage. So, you know, I mentioned that we are early stage VCs there are VCs who invest in more mature companies and other VCs that invest in, uh, in companies that are even more mature than that. Um, and then you start moving into the private equity world um, who, you know, these are funds that invest in, in very mature companies or they'll acquire companies 100% and, and, um, and uh, look to optimize them. Um, so, you know, the skill sets that are required um, for each stage of investing is very different. You know, for an early stage investor, um, it's really important to try to extract what little data is available to you, but rely on some of the more qualitative signals. The more mature VCs or the ones that are investing in more mature companies um, tend to be more data driven or more finance driven, where they're looking at you know, the, the profit and loss statement or the income statement of a company. Um, they're looking at the balance sheet more closely. They're looking at the cash flow statements more closely um, and making investment decisions with a more um, finance angle to it than what you would see for early stage investors. I, I, think, I think that perfectly sums it up. Uh, I didn't have any other questions left. Did you want to say anything else to the audience watching? or any other last nuggets? I know there was so many, so much good information in this talk, but was there anything else you wanted to end off with? I'll just let you leave. I think I would just say, you know, venture capital is a, a very different world than most career paths. Um, and it's, it's not always a direct or deliberate path to get you into venture capital. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about how I ended up where I am. I, uh, I was, as you know, I was at PayPal, um, for a few years um, working on mergers and acquisitions and, and venture investing. And I had no um, desire, no plan to become a VC 
Um, but I got a phone call from a friend of mine uh, who is the managing director of Canada's largest venture firm. Uh, and he said to me, hey, there is this fintech fund that is brewing. Um, given your experience, given your background, you should help run it. And uh, I was rather dismissive um, very early on. I thought, you know, I'm at PayPal, we're doing big things. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're setting the future of um, financial technology. And I uh, wasn't too interested in, in becoming a VC, but this friend of mine said, you know, have a conversation, have two conversations, have three conversations, no commitment, just see where it leads. And uh, I ended up talking to, you know, the, the teams, the companies who are now investors in our fund, and they were um, incredibly driven to see this type of a fund put together. Very, very supportive, um, very forward thinking, very innovative in the kind of plans that they had. Um, and so they sort of came to us and said, if you stand up this fund, we'll bankroll you. We'll, we'll give you the money that you need to invest. And uh, if you talk to other VCs, that kind of a, a situation, you know, almost never happened. That's a that's a once in a lifetime kind of an opportunity. And so my partner and I, you know, after many nights and weekends planning and strategizing on our investment thesis, we decided to take the leap together and we started up Luge Capital. Um, but it was entirely by accident. That got us our first $50 million. Um, and from there, we raised the remaining portion of our fund. And we're right now just over $85 million of assets under management. And we've got now, as of, as of today, um, 13 companies in our portfolio. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm happy that we got to talk to somebody as smart as you and somebody who's really well experienced. So thanks so much for coming. I really it. Appreciate was a real it. pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. For the rest of those watching, if you want to learn more, if you want to see more videos, you can go on D.Smiley and check out the careers of the future. Thanks everybody for watching. Yanda. Thanks for listening to Careers of the Future. For more episodes of Careers of the Future, visit the.ismiley or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform.